Well, good morning. Can you all hear me okay? All right. What I'm going to share today is a deep dive into an issue that many people think they already know about. And I used to be one of them. And perhaps you are as well. And that issue, like Zach said, is food insecurity or hunger. So the formal definition is uncertain or limited ability to obtain adequate food in socially acceptable ways because of a lack of financial resources. In other words, there's too much month left at the end of the money. You're hungry. There's no more money to buy food until the next payday. It is a social and economic condition where access to food is limited or uncertain. It's not just about being hungry. It's much broader than that. And I used to think this was primarily found in third world countries or only those in extreme poverty who experienced it in the US. I used to think that food insecurity was mostly an inner city problem, it affected a small segment of the population, but it's so much bigger than that. Um, in fact, food insecurity is everywhere. It's all around us in every community, including this one. The reality is hunger in middle-class America has been growing more rapidly in suburbs than in cities since 2007. A shockingly high percentage, 69% of Americans couldn't afford food without their next paycheck. And just as sobering, it's estimated that nearly two-thirds of Americans will experience at least one year of poverty at some point between the ages of 25 and 60. Social stigma and lack of awareness of food assistance programs means that hunger often stays hidden. So in the U.S., overall, about one in eight people face hunger, one in six children. Looking at the state of Kansas, it's slightly better at one in 10, one in seven children. And since um, COVID, things have gotten much worse. We do see um, some racial and ethnic disparities as well with this. Looking at the U.S., those who are most at risk of food insecurity include, of course, those living in poverty, households with children, minority populations, single moms, actually 30% of single moms compared with 19% of single dads, um, the elderly, college students and young adults, and the socially marginalized, such as the LGBTQ and homeless populations. So let's talk about you for a moment. You and your peers attending college all over the nation. On average, 42% of college students face food insecurity at some point during their college career, including students who are on a meal plan through campus dining. Students from ethnic minority groups and undergrad students are more likely to experience food insecurity than white and graduate students. And those who are financially independent from their parents, recipients of financial assistance, are also at higher risk. And that's somewhat self-explanatory, right? So if your parents are no longer financially supporting you, you probably don't have a well-paying job while you're also attending college, and so there's limited money for food. For those who are working full-time and also attending classes, campus dining hours may not work with your schedule. We see adverse academic and health outcomes from college students who are hungry. And full-time students are generally not eligible for government food assistance programs. Many students just don't qualify. So these quotes are taken from published journals and were obtained during interviews by researchers looking at food insecurity. I'll be sharing many quotes with you this morning to invite you into someone else's lived experience. It is my hope that their stories and shared experience can help the rest of us more fully understand the issues and consequences of food insecurity. So the first one, I work 40 hours at a desk job and I'm a full-time student on top of that. Really, the time that I can go shopping, those late hours at night that even now Walmart still isn't open half the time after I'm done for the day with homework and work in school. Another student says, when one isn't able to afford a meal, it makes you frustrated and angry. Then what comes from that is a sense of regret, sadness. It's a feeling that one is not worth food. Emerging adults and Gen Z are its own category of high risk for food insecurity. 
In the research setting, emerging adults are looking at people's experiences around age 24, and Gen Zs around that age are a little younger than that. So among this age group, one in three experienced food insecurity in the first half of 2022. And one of the proposed reasons is because they were the most likely to face unemployment during the COVID pandemic. Education, income, and race are three of the biggest factors driving food insecurity among this generation. Those without college degrees or who make less than the federal poverty line are at three times higher risk for food insecurity than other Gen Z households. We see racial and ethnic disparities here too, as the rate of food insecurity among Gen Z, Black, and Hispanic households is almost double that of white and Asian households. Factors like marriage and owning your own home typically improve food security, um, but young people typically aren't married or own a home, and so Gen Z, by and large, isn't benefiting from those factors. Social determinants of health, such as access to enough nutritious foods, play a considerable role in disease prevention, health status, and health outcomes. Socioeconomic factors include where a person lives, community safety, their ability to afford or access nutrition food, and family social support. These two quotes came from a paper that interviewed people experiencing food insecurity during the racial justice uprisings in Minnesota in 2020. And you can see the socioeconomic factors at play here. An Asian parent said, so I've had people spit on me. I've had people yell racial slurs, call me the B word, call me all sorts of words from A to Z, and just tell me to go back to where I came from. Now my kids are scared about these people who they don't know is attacking us. And so I have to wait to find somebody to come, like a sibling, or have my partner come and watch the kids while I run to the store or the Merkel soup store and just try to get what we can. A Hispanic parent said, I don't know, usually if me and my mom were to go into Aldi's or something like that by our house, there's a security guard. He follows us around like we're going to steal something. Even when I'm with my daughter, he would follow us around and he would just be watching us. Feeling unsafe in their own community creates a barrier or obstacle in a person's ability to access food. Approximately 41,000 unaccompanied youth ages 13 to 25 experience food insecure or homelessness nationally. These are some of the most vulnerable in our society, and the prevalence of food insecurity among them is six times greater than that of the general population. One study interviewed homeless youth in the greater Seattle area to find out how they got food. There were a range of behaviors, such as obtaining food from friends or pooling their resources together, um, getting meals from drop-in centers and shelters, sometimes stealing food, getting day-old food at discounted price. They go without something else to purchase food and sometimes sell drugs or themselves for money to buy food. Many of them do not go to food banks. They don't know where one is, it's too far away, or they can't use the canned goods that they get there. They don't have a can opener, and they certainly don't have a microwave or a stove. The elderly are also at very high risk for food insecurity. By 2025, the number of food insecure seniors is expected to increase by 50%. So cost of living is higher, and so some are outliving their savings. Some don't have a retirement fund and have very little money for food. Social security checks have not kept pace with inflation. I'm telling you, it's very difficult for me as a dietitian to try and use food and nutrition to improve people's health when they can't afford healthy food. Oftentimes, the rates of isolation are high among the elderly, even in some retirement communities. When they don't eat much, it increases their risk for malnutrition. Malnutrition increases their risk for illness and hospitalizations and cognitive decline, and it's a vicious cycle. If a person is homebound or disabled, they may not be able to access food. Someone has to go get groceries for them or prepare meals if they aren't able to, and not everyone asks for help or they can't afford to pay for help. 
However, even though there are groups of people who are at higher risk for food insecurity than others, make no mistake, guys, hunger lurks in every neighborhood, even behind the doors of nice homes. Most, uh, many people sought food assistance for the first time during the pandemic, and most families struggling with food insecurity have at least one parent working full-time to try and make ends meet. Yet 25% of families did not get enough to eat in 2020. You can probably guess the reasons behind that. That was the start of the COVID lockdowns. People lost their jobs or had to stay home. Schools no longer provided free or reduced meals. The racial justice uprisings were happening, and that affected people's feelings of safety and going to the store. There were shipping delays, food shortages, and sometimes empty shelves because people hoarded food, which left nothing for everyone else. Sometimes food insecurity is a result of generational poverty, this cycle of in inadequate resources in which food insecurity or hunger is a chronic reality. But what may surprise you, this surprised me, is for many people, food insecurity is mostly situational and temporary. So here are some common reasons for this. There's a loss of a job or a paycheck or a reduced paycheck because work hours were reduced. Sometimes everything is fine and then suddenly a spouse is diagnosed with cancer. Medical expenses can bankrupt people, or perhaps there are expensive medications or procedures that they need every month that takes up their food budget. Things like childcare and housing can eat up the majority of a paycheck. Natural disasters are another cause. How many people in Florida right now are suffering after losing everything from the hurricane? The death of a family member may be the loss of an income. Sometimes the location of the grocery store is prohibitive. Not everyone has a car, or if you live in the country, you have to figure in the cost of gas as well. Sometimes people are homebound or shut in and can't access, access food. I usually see this with the elderly, but we also saw it during COVID lockdowns when people were quarantined to live alone. So why do we care? I mean, it's sad that people are hungry, but what does this mean for the rest of us? Why should we care? Hunger is an ethical issue, not just a moral one. There are physical, psychological, and emotional repercussions of hunger. Having enough food to eat is a basic human right. Human rights are moral principles that aim to protect people from social and political abuse. They were first defined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights adopted in 1948. This was after World War II in response to the Holocaust atrocities. Human rights principles are for every human being, regardless of religion, ethnicity, or nationality. This is the framework that we operate under as a society, but also as followers of Jesus. Caring for those in need is a biblical mandate. There are over 40 verses in the Bible about feeding the poor. Jesus himself performed miracles involving food and feeding the hungry. So hear me say this loud and clear, guys. Food insecurity is a really big deal as a society. Let's talk more about why. Food insecure people spend much of their time making difficult choices between food and other necessities. They adopt coping strategies to survive all levels of hardship from marginal to severe food insecurity. First, they tend to choose larger quantities of cheaper food over quality food. And then it becomes a choice between food and medicine, transportation, electricity, and the list goes on and on. The human body needs food to survive, obviously, but calories to sustain life aren't the only factor in human health. The risk of chronic disease dramatically increases with the degree of food insecurity. In other words, there are physical repercussions. Food insecurity significantly influences the health and well-being of individuals and families across generations. It is associated with costly and preventable chronic diseases. Like I mentioned, people with limited funds often have to pay for housing or other necessities instead of food. They are often forced to go without costly prescription drugs or postpone or forego medical preventive services. This results in a negative cycle that further increases the risk of chronic diseases. 
Repeated episodes of hunger in childhood can cause immediate problems, but also influences their risk of future chronic disease development. Children can experience poor growth and development, and we see an increased risk of anemia, ADHD, iron deficiency, cognitive problems, asthma, and so on. Poor nutrition can impair motor skill, language, and cognitive development, attentiveness, and school performance. In addition, children who are used to eating cheap processed food develop a taste for it. They're used to eating those foods, and it creates another barrier in their acceptance of wholesome, healthy food. For maternal fetal health, food insecurity increases the risk of health problems for both mother and baby. We see anxiety, depression, birth defects, gestational diabetes, iron deficiency, low birth weight, preterm birth, and stress on the fetus. For adults, physical consequences of hunger include increased risk of cancer, diabetes, high blood pressure. You can see the list um, on the slide behind me. Not only that, but stress increases chronic inflammation in the body. Inflammation affects so many diseases, plus sleep cycle, metabolic function, insulin resistance, obesity, and makes everything in the body work harder. With the elderly, we see increased risk of heart failure, malnutrition, gum disease that makes it harder to chew food, osteoporosis, and poor cognitive function. So in addition to physical repercussions, um, there are also emotional, psychological repercussions. So in other words, it's not just about the food. Food insecurity is a powerful stressor that affects a person's well-being. There's emotional distress, worry, anxiety, deprivation, um, alienation, which we'll talk more about in a moment. Research is exploding right now in the area of psychological distress of food insecurity. Within families, many parents try to sh um, shield their children from the worry, fear, and anxiety behind not having enough money for food. But children know. Right? Parents try to hide it, but children experience cognitive, emotional, and physical awareness of food insecurity. We see behavioral difficulties in children with food insecurity. We see delays in academic and social development. And there was a really interesting study that came out recently about food insecurity and chaos in the home. Household chaos is defined as homes with unpredictable, non-routine, or inconsistent physical and social surroundings. It affects family meal structure, meal frequency, and mealtime interactions with family members, which is a vital part of social-emotional connection for children. Listen to these quotes from children who were interviewed as part of a published study in the Journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. One child said, sometimes we don't have enough of something that all of us want. If it's eggs or toast and we don't have enough for my dad or my mom, they will eat cereal while we get eggs. I feel bad because we're not getting enough food for the whole family. Another child said, when my mom says she can't do it anymore, work and hustling to put food on the table, sometimes I'll feel worried. And this kiddo said, one time my friends came over. There wasn't anything in the refrigerator or the pantry. Their parents make money. Their parents have a good education. Their fridge is always full. And they came and there was nothing in the fridge. Can you hear the shame, the embarrassment in that last statement? Maybe even some resentment as well towards what their friends had. This child said, one time I asked my mom, can she play with me? And she said, not right now, because she has to work more than 12 hours a day. I feel like my parents are spending a lot of time with money, and they can't really spend time with us. I feel kind of lonely. I just keep it all inside. Another child said, if the food runs out, I get sad a bit. Just sad. The kind of sad where you want to try to be happy, but you know inside you're really sad about it. What does that do internally to a child? 
Those of you who are education majors, this is significant. You will encounter students who are hungry in the classroom. Food insecurity affects academic achievement. Statistically speaking, it results in lower GPAs and poorer concentration. College students may have to withdraw from their courses or suspend their education. Mental health is greatly affected with significant depression and anxiety. And all of this, of course, affects job performance. These quotes are from another published study, and all of them come from college students who were interviewed. First one said, the way I tend to look at it is I feel like I'm doing everything right, trying to get my education, trying to support my family, trying to be a good citizen, trying to make a positive impact on society. It just feels like you can't get a win when you just want to eat something healthy today and you don't have that option. It makes me angry. Another student said, when you're so stressed about food all the time, it takes a lot of mental power. You need room for creativity. You need room to do certain things. But if all that's in your head is cluttered, everything becomes blurry. You're not focusing on the bigger picture. You're only focused on what's happening next. And the other one said, my roommate would say, why do you always not hang out with me? She called me cheap for not wanting to spend money. That made me feel really sad. It's not because I don't want to. I actually can't. At times, it would lead to pent-up sadness. Life freaking sucks. When I experience direct contact with people who just don't understand, who are not aware of their situation, this makes me realize how much privilege they have. Sometimes you just can't help but wish, why? Why couldn't that be me? I have quite a few friends who just don't understand. They say, you can do it. You can rise out of this. Well, they don't understand. I'm doing all that I can. That's the difference in my friends. Some people acknowledge that it's larger than the individual, and some people don't. The last one says, I've always been declined any time that I've tried to apply for assistance. They always say I make too much money or this or that. But like, I mean, I don't make too much money and I legitimately need, need help. I've applied, but I just, it never works out. Parents who are trying to work hard and put food on the table but are still struggling suffer significant psychological distress. They are fully aware of their inability to provide what their children need and it haunts them. Listen to their statements from an interview. There are a lot of nights I cry myself to sleep because how do you stretch it? It can get difficult and sometimes even scary. You've got to have dinner and what do you do if you don't have dinner? I empathize for people who have gone into the store and stolen a steak. You want to survive. What do you do when you have no food? I'm supposed to teach them healthy habits. I know what they're supposed to have, but can I give it to them? No, to not be able to provide how I want to, how I need to, it's hard. So let's talk about shame, that painful feeling of humiliation arising from the sense that something is fundamentally wrong with oneself. The fear of asking for help is one of the biggest threats to fighting food insecurity. Let me repeat that. The fear of asking for help is one of the biggest threats to fighting food insecurity. More than 40% of people who qualify for food assistance do not utilize programs because of shame and other reasons. Clancy Harrison is a dietitian who runs a large food pantry in Pennsylvania and also is a national speaker who educates and provides resources to address food insecurity with dignity and respect. Clancy says food pantries, food banks are not a handout, they are a helping hand. We must change our perspective about that. Social stigma is a huge barrier in accessing food assistance. People feel ashamed and embarrassed about how other people may perceive them. This problem is exacerbated in small towns and rural communities because everyone knows everyone else. You're not an anonymous person showing up to the food bank. Many parents feel shame about their inability to provide nutritious food for their children or the amount of time they spend working long hours, which takes away from spending time with their children. 
Researchers interviewed people on the shame, parents on the shame and psychological distress that they felt in receiving food assistance. One woman shared how she went to the food pantry at the local church in total disguise because she didn't want anyone to recognize her. She cried afterwards and said, you feel alone, you feel like nobody cares. Another mother described feeling very self-conscious about using her food stamps at the grocery store. She hides her food stamp card in her sleeve so that other shoppers won't see that she receives public assistance. Some of the volunteers treat you in a humiliating way, this person said. Sometimes they're just very nasty. They may say, here's two little pieces of cheese. I say, I have four kids. May I have another one? They'll say, well, you know, there has to be enough for everyone. They call you greedy, just the way they say it and how they put you on the spot. They embarrass you as if you already don't feel bad about being in line. One mom repackages the food she receives from the food bank into grocery bags from the local store so that no one in her family will know it was from the food bank. Another woman shared about being recently laid off from her position as an executive and found herself experiencing food insecurity for the first time. She hid her food-related struggles from her social circle, calling it a grand falling from grace. So let's recap. Why do we care about food insecurity? It's not just about the food, though there are medical and nutritional consequences. We see emotional and psychological distress coupled with shame and social stigma. There's another reason too. For people who have experienced hunger through food insecurity, that feeling of hunger never fully goes away. It's not a physical sensation so much as fear and emotional stress over the possibility of it happening again. It's literally a form of trauma. I have heard and read many stories of people who experience hunger or inconsistent access to food in childhood. Years later, even when they had adequate resources for food, they remained obsessed over it. So many of them have a psychological need to keep their cupboards and fridges overstocked. One woman described it as food hoarding. Many of them go on food binges, this uncontrollable need to eat and eat. It's a disconnect from physical hunger. It's a psychological response. And what's hard as I meet with patients, I can't improve their health through nutrition unless they first have enough food. The foundational need of getting enough to eat overrides the capacity to be selective about it. We must never think of people struggling to afford food as those people. When we see them as fellow human beings or from a Christian worldview, see them as brothers and sisters, our perspective changes. These are real people who receive food from a food bank, shared on a Food Dignity blog, which I've included in my references at the end. In the interest of time, I'm not going to go through all of these, but for example, there's a senior citizen who just lost her sister and always takes an extra milk for her 96-year-old neighbor who cannot get out. There's a veteran who rides in on his jazzy wheelchair. He is often very grumpy because he is sick and can't get answers. He's limited on what foods he can eat, and his life didn't turn out anything close to what he expected. One mom with two young kids always picks up food for her neighbor. She shares recipes that can be made from the food given out. There were tears this week because her SNAP benefits were cut, because her husband made too much after receiving a one-time small bonus in his paycheck. So what can we do about it? First of all, we must actively work to reduce social stigma around receiving food assistance. Our lived experiences and beliefs about how the world works form our prejudices. We all have them, we just don't like to admit it. Part of what it means to grow up and become mature citizens means that we learn to recognize our own prejudices and actively seek to educate ourselves on other people's lived experiences, not remain ignorant in our own preconceived assumptions. How does that apply to food insecurity? There's a widespread assumption that people in poverty have done it to themselves. 
There is a stereotype that people seeking food assistance are lazy and are just seeking government handouts. This perpetuates the shame cycle and makes it less likely that a person in need will seek assistance. You and I either help or hurt others by our words and actions. We don't know why a person may be receiving assistance. Never, never, never assume that someone is taking advantage of the system because of how they're dressed or the type of car they drive or the house they live in. There are circumstances that we know nothing about and judgment causes real harm. Human dignity and kindness matters. One thing you can do to educate yourself on this issue is take the Food Dignity Challenge. The Food Dignity Movement is spearheaded by Clancy Harrison. I mentioned her name earlier. The Food Dignity Challenge is a free eight-week hunger awareness program. She also has a blog and podcast that are very eye-opening and thought-provoking. Many of the things I've shared with you this morning come from her. Food insecurity is a social justice issue. Earlier, I referenced a study that interviewed homeless youth in the Seattle area. This same study found that an alarming proportion of them reported having been refused service to buy food or get a free meal. Also troubling is the report that many participants had difficulty accessing drinking water. Increasingly, urban businesses and public spaces are prohibiting socially marginalized individuals from utilizing or accessing their facilities, including restrooms and hence water. Remember, nutrition is a human right. The pursuit of social justice demands that all human beings have what they need, regardless of whether we like them, can relate to them, or approve of how they live. The Christian worldview says to show up and serve. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, check and make sure a person truly needs help first, or only feed those whose lifestyle you agree with. Nope. In fact, Proverbs 25.1 says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. We don't get to pick and choose who is worthy of receiving help. We simply show up and serve. The issue of food security is a political issue and your vote matters. One of the best things that you as college students can do is to educate yourselves about big issues affecting agriculture, trade policies, food access and minimum wage and how they affect real people's lives. No one political side has all of the answers. You can contact your elected representatives on proposed legislation that affects hunger. You can run for office and you can support those who do. You can also volunteer. The McPherson County Food Bank is just down the street. You can probably see it from here. Meals on Wheels is a federal program that provides a hot lunch to elderly homebound individuals. Um, the McPherson Hospital Dietary Department actually prepares the meals here in town, um, but the program relies on volunteers to deliver the meals around town. Many of our Meals on Wheels clients make two meals out of that one. They eat half for lunch and they save the other half for supper. Nationwide, 92% of home-delivered meal recipients say that the meals enable them to continue living in their own homes. That's huge. As college students, you can organize or help collect food um, for food drives when um, either your own organization or the city. You could investigate the need for a small food pantry on campus. Um, statistically speaking, some of you in this room are struggling as college students, even if you're on the meal plan. I know Bethany College implemented a small food pantry on their campus a couple of years ago. You could always talk with them and find out how much it's being used and learn from their experience. Community is so important. Check on your neighbors, people from church, the elderly you know who are homebound. They may be struggling and are too embarrassed to ask for help. You and I can't solve the enormous reality of food insecurity single-handedly, but we can make a difference to one person. Most of you don't have lots of time or money to donate right now, but hopefully in the future, you will find yourself in a position where you can give back. What can you do if you don't have money to donate right now? 
Clancy Harrison says to reflect on your power of influence. You know, what are you good at? Where are you influential? What are you passionate about? And then how can you use your gifts um, to make a difference in the world? I don't have all of those answers for you, but maybe with a little self-reflection, you might come up with a way to help address this in your own community. And don't think you have to do something big in order to have an impact. This also comes from Clancy Harrison. Small acts of kindness can help end hunger. It could be as simple, guys, as not saying judgmental things in line at the grocery store when the person in front of you is using government assistance to pay for their food. Ask better questions in order to try and understand deeper issues that contribute to a person's ability to afford adequate food. It's rarely as simple as go get a job. Again, kindness matters. Even small acts of kindness are significant with ripple effects because everyone deserves to be treated with basic human dignity and respect. Thanks so much for letting me come and speak to you. Yes, so we're, we're going to move into uh, just a space where I invite you to talk more about some of what you've shared, maybe push you to give more detail. Um, my first question is, uh, what is the best part of being married to me? Are you serious right now? <laughs> okay, so obviously your sense of so I don't feel like that question is going to go where I wanted it to. So I'm going to move on to the next question. Um, hmm. <laughs> wow, that's I'm going to have to talk to my therapist about that moment. Um, <laughs> when this issue of food insecurity for you, like you said, there were things that were surprising to you. So when did this issue become something that you were like, I want to know more about that, I want to study that? Was there something that, that came up that you saw that you were like, what is this thing? Yes. Okay. So first of all, I was seeing more and more of it in my own patients, patients who were struggling. And then I um, attended a webinar that was about um, nutrition um, with the LGBTQ community, actually. And it was um, focused on um, the homeless in LA. And one of the things that um, I remember most about that webinar is what they were talking about, where do they access food? How do they get their food? And what they said was they do not go to church-run food pantries because they were either denied service or they were afraid they would be denied service. And I, I was heartbroken. I was devastated. Um, and this like every part of me was like, no, like, no, that's not okay. Um, and I really start that, that really started my, my heart, my journey to look more into, okay, what, what are the issues behind some of this? How can we help? What can we do to restore human dignity and respect? Uh, you talked about in food insecurity, one of the issues is the shame that people feel asking for assistance or even utilizing the assistance that's available to them. Um, and you and I have had that experience. Um, so I'm wondering if you would be willing to share that exact experience from our life, from our marriage and, and our family. So Zach and I um, were foster parents, and foster children up through age five qualify for WIC. That is Women, Infants, and Children. It's a federal program that provides food assistance. Um, and 
our, our foster children qualified. And I, so we had, they give you vouchers, at least this was at the time, paper vouchers that specify what food you can get that month. And our budget was pretty tight. Um, we were really grateful for that help. Um, and I was so embarrassed to use it. I would try to go to the store when I felt like I wouldn't run into anybody I knew. Um, I didn't want anyone to think that we needed help, but I also didn't want them to think that we didn't need help and were taking advantage of the program, if that makes sense. Um, and so it was hard for me to use it. And then then I'll let you share your experience. So that's such a fascinating way that you said that because my recollection is, Zach, I'm not doing this. You do that it. That was after the thing that yeah. happened to you. Why don't you explain yeah, that? Yeah, so I... Um, <laughs> So, and we, Suzanne felt it more than me. I was like, sweet, free stuff. Okay. Um, and so I remember, I remember being in line at Dylan's and with WIC, you have, there are certain checks, WIC checks that you can get certain items, some milk, cheese, bread. And then you have to, you're, you're learning that you have to look at the labels on the store because you can get cereal, but not all cereal is approved for WIC. And so you're trying to find what do I think the kids are going to eat um, because they don't want like wheat germ. Um, but then what, like, what are they going to eat and what can I get with a WIC? I'm learning all these things. I have no idea. They don't train you in this. They trained me. Oh, well, they didn't train me. So I, I get the stuff and I go up and I remember this one time in Dylan's having my stuff up and you have to, here's the thing, you have to put the check on the belt because they have to know ahead of time before they start ringing up the items that they're for WIC. So there's no way around this. Like, they, like if anybody's in line with you, they're going to know that this is your situation. So I set the check up there. I set the stuff up there. And the lady behind me is like, you look like you are old enough that you can have a job. Like, and she just starts laying into me. She's like, I can't. She's like, you don't look like you. She's like, I thought Wick was women and infant children. You were neither a woman nor. And like, she's like going it like, and I, there was, I was embarrassed. I was mad. I was like, lady, please check me out as quick as possible. I just want to get out of here. I wanted to turn around and say, you don't understand my story. I do have a job. I have a professional job, but I'm also a foster. I, I wanted to like defend myself in that moment. And I went home and I was like, Suzanne, you're not going to believe what happened at Dylan's. Like I just got like shame blasted by this lady in line because we were using WIC. And that was when you decided what? <laughs> I was never going to use it again. <laughs> I just flat out refused. So I got to, be, I was like, you don't care. She's like, no, you're fine. You can take it. You have thicker skin. So I was, and you knew that you knew to go to Dylan's rather than Walmart because the person at Walmart, anytime you handed them a WIC check, it was like they'd never seen it before. They were like, I don't know. And so then you're in line longer and it's more of an awkward process. And they're like, over the microphone, we have a WIC check. Can someone come help me with a WIC? And you're like, oh my goodness. So you knew to go to Dylan's because they were more, it, all of the things that we learned in that season where we were getting WIC assistance because we were foster parents. And soon after that, we just decided, you know what, it's just not worth it. We just stopped take, we just stopped using what we qualified for because kind of the shame of that, the embarrassment. Do you remember, speaking of our experience as foster parents, we did like short-term care a lot. So we did respite care. So we would do 
Do you remember moments as foster parents where we saw food insecurity? Yes, because the children could not stop eating. Um, they would eat very, very fast. They would eat a lot of it. They were never, um, even if you knew their stomachs were full, they were not satisfied. And so we had to spend a lot of time saying, we will eat again. There, you will not go hungry. We will have a snack time in, in an hour, okay? Here's, here's something to drink in the meantime and try to establish a structure. Um, and it was really hard to watch. But but I've heard I've heard other stories too, like from other webinars and podcasts that I've listened to, where um, people would share their experience. Like one one woman um, said that in childhood, when her parents would bring home groceries, you know there was there were groceries, there was food in the house, and they would all just like zoom, like get the food, they would eat it as fast as possible, and you know logically, if you've never experienced that, and I've never experienced it, you think well just eat a little bit so that it lasts until the next time you get food. But guys, hunger isn't logical, you know, especially for children. And when, when food is available and you're hungry, you eat it and there's really nothing to, that can stop you. It was really eye-opening. I wonder if a lot of us, I was thankful that you talked about the, the COVID pandemic and a lot of us experiencing scarcity for the first time. And so we, I, I think a lot of us experienced those moments of, I know logically I'm going to be okay, but should I buy 90,000 rolls of toilet paper on this trip, just in case it's like, like we, we ex you experienced that. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of people did yeah. during, during the pandemic. Um, what would you say to a group of college students, I think you did a great job of saying, why should I care about this as a college student? All right, I'm not hungry. That's unfortunate for them. Um, what If you could give one, like one takeaway, one, one like marching order for this group of college students, what would it, what would it be? It would be put aside your preconceived ideas about who does and does not need help, what that looks like and how you treat them um, because like I mentioned, that, that social stigma, that shame, that embarrassment, that is what stops a lot of people who genuinely need help from getting it, from pursuing it. Um, I had a patient um, one time, she was a small business owner in a small town and the business was struggling, which meant her income was significantly reduced, right? And that affected her food. Um, and it got to the point where I encouraged her to, to apply for SNAP benefits, that's Supplemental Nutrition Assistant Programs, formerly known as food stamps. Um, and she started crying. She's like, I know, I know that I need this. She said, it's so hard. And she, um, she filled out the application but her husband wouldn't let her submit it because his own pride got in the way. He's like, no, 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 we don't need this. We can survive. Well, they did need it. So it's hard. Yeah. Um, so I hope, I hope the point of these Monday gatherings is this, to say this is a real issue that's happening in the world. And as college students who are preparing to launch into that world, there are things you can do now, but there are things that you can do just in life. So as you leave from this place, wherever you end up, like Suzanne said, um, the way you live matters. The way you vote matters. Pay attention to these issues. Ask the right 
questions. We want to develop people who are civically minded in heart, soul, mind, and strength. And all of these types of things are important. Suzanne, thank you so much for coming and sharing with a group of people that Thanks I love. Thanks for inviting me. Let me... Let me pray for us, and then you are dismissed this morning. So gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you promise that you are a God who provides. And God, I think of Mother Teresa who reminds us that there's enough for everyone's need, but not enough for everyone's greed. And so God, I pray that you would put those words on our hearts, on our minds today as we move throughout the day, as we move throughout this week, that these are things that we would think about. Father, that you would change our perspectives, that you would change the eyes with which we see those around us. Uh, God, we, we love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great couple of days. See you Wednesday.